HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Two percent, two percent, two percent. The two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah, anything to support local food, know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I host In the Drink every Wednesday morning at our not-so-new time anymore, 11 a.m., coming to you live from Roberta's here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, and when I'm not at, uh, I'm not hosting the show, you can always find me, uh, really this summer at Altalinia, which is our big outdoor, uh, extravaganza of all things Italian aperitivo, uh, cocktails, including the Negroni and our famous, uh, frozen Negroni. Um, and we'll get to more of that in, uh, in a little bit, um, Thank you so much for listening, and you can always subscribe to our uh, our podcast uh, on iTunes. Please go ahead and do that uh, if you like it, or listen to past episodes on heritageradionetwork.org slash in the drink. We have a great uh, show ahead of you uh, today. I'm really excited. We have someone who I'm going to be meeting the first time. This is actually a call-in uh, show. This is a rare call-in show for us, and uh, especially for someone I'm meeting the first time, uh, a legend 
legend of the cocktail community, someone who's written many, many books, um, including his most recent one called The Negroni, uh, which came out last year, and he's kind enough to uh, speak with us about it uh, today. Uh, Also, the entrepreneur behind Regan's Orange Bitters, which are indispensable at any bar, um, uh, and uh, the author of uh, several uh, free weekly email newsletters. Uh, We have Gaz Regan, if you haven't figured it out uh, already. Gaz, welcome to In the Drink. It is really exciting to have you here. Thank you, Joe. Um, Thank you for having me. Much appreciated, man. And I appreciate you, uh, you, you doing this. Um, and thanks. I'm sure that when the book came out, the Negroni book came out, you, I'm sure you did a lot of interviews and stuff. And uh, I don't know if it's, if it's been a while since, since you've spoken about it. It's, uh, it's been a year since it's been out. But being as though this is Negroni week, uh, I thought it was a, an appropriate time to speak with you about, uh, about this book and, and your love of this cocktail. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, Negroni's work, no matter... How many years have passed since you wrote the book? You know, <laughs> and uh, you you mentioned at, at the uh, the very start of the book how you were maybe an early adopter uh, in the bartending community for for uh, love of Negronis. Um, now it seems that that uh, most bartenders have a true appreciation of of this drink. Um, but what you were writing uh, over a decade ago, uh, maybe fifteen years ago or so, about seemed seemed very very fresh and like something something someone could write about today about about this love of Negroni. Where do you can you remember where your interest in Negroni is really began? Um, well, I can I, I can't pin the exact year, but I think it was probably in the 1990s. My first book, uh, The Bartender's Bible, came out in '91, and I have a feeling that's when I discovered the Negroni. Um, and what really intrigued me, aside from discovering what a fabulous drink it is, uh, it intrigued me that there was this legend behind it about a certain Count Negroni who was supposed to be an Italian count who invented the drink in the early 20th century. And when I read about that, I loved colorful histories, and not many cocktails can be pinned down to a specific creator, but when I read about that, I became intrigued, and I tried to research a bit further to find out about Count Negroni, and if you think this was the 90s, we did not have good search engines in those days, uh, and I couldn't find anything about Count Negroni, which made it a bit more uh, intriguing. But at that time, I came to the conclusion that the good folk at Campari had invented Count Negroni, um, which is not unheard of in the marketing world. Um, But I'm happy to say I was proved wrong. We can go into that in a little while, if you wish. Does that answer your question? Uh, it it does. And this this story of the the Count Negroni, I think, is just a, a fascinating one. How does uh, and you you go into it in your book? How does 
and a, a noble Italian end up in the Midwest uh, riding horses and gambling and uh, even even gaining a midwestern accent you uh, you quote you quote uh, an article that that he was quoted in saying something like you're darting tootin I do ombre like, how do, how does that happen yeah I know it's intriguing and of course I don't really know how it happened but it's obvious that the count and details of his life are very well documented it turns out um, and I didn't realize he was a true figure until David Rundrich, the author of Imbibe um, uncovered this book in Italian that was all about the count and the drink and so all that we know or all that I know I should say is that he was a legitimate count and he must have just been an adventurous spirit because in the late uh, the the Toward the end of the 19th century, he did indeed go to uh, or come to the USA, and he was, uh, as you said, he was a cowboy, he was a bronco buster, he rode the trail, and he also was a big gambling man, he was a big showman, um, and he was, he was a larger-than-life character. Let me say, and actually, as I'm just thinking this as I'm going along, you know, David Wondrich's book Imbibe, which I think is the finest historical drinks book ever written, and I mean that with absolutely no reservations whatsoever. Uh, David's writing is incredible. Um, but in his book, one of the points he makes is that in America, in the late 1900s, uh, sorry, late 1800s, there were only two types of men in America, and they were sportsmen, and the others were not sportsmen. Uh, now, when we think about sportsmen today, we think about people who play football or play baseball. But in 19th century terms, a sportsman was a man about town. He was a gambler. He was a drinker. Um, he, he was a, a player, you know. And the, so half the country was sportsmen, and those who weren't were your regular people who had 2.4 children, went to church once a week, and held a 9-to-5 job. Uh, so I, I have no doubt at all that Count Negroni was a very stereotypical uh, American sportsman, even though he was born in Italy. Yeah, he definitely embodies that Jerry Thomas era of flamboyancy as well, uh, kind of this over-the-top persona. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, that article that you quoted from, uh, actually, Wondrich gave me that article. He's, uh, he's an incredible uh, researcher. 
but I wouldn't have that without him. Uh, that article is one of the few instances where we actually hear a conversation with Count Negroni. Uh, it was written, I think, in 1924. So that would be about five years after the Negroni cocktail was invented. Um, and he was dressed, the guy who wrote the article was a newspaper man from the Midwest in the USA, and he was just touring Italy when he came across this man on horseback who was wearing all Western regalia. He had like a, I'm making this up, but his, his knee was damaged through. He had like a 10-gallon hat, and he was wearing chaps, and sporting, you know, really cowboy regalia, which is what made the reporter stop his car and get out and look at this man, and we're coming to the point where you went to him from, and he wrote to the count and said, do you speak English? And as you said, the counsel reply was, you're darn tootin' I do. <laughs> uh, which just makes me smile every time I think about it. Me too, as an Italian in the Midwest. And then he makes his way back to Italy. I've heard stories, and I don't know if you covered it, I can't remember if it was in the book, that he, he stopped for some time potentially in London, which is where he potentially got this uh, interest or love in, of gin, um, and then made his way back to uh, to Florence and uh, his local bar, Cassoni, where he ordered the then-popular uh Milano Torino or Americano, but just wanted it a little bit stronger with with, uh, with the gin. Uh, does that that kind of sum it up how how you know it? Uh, yeah, kind of. I'm a bit vague on the London part, but I have heard that. And it was actually the Americano. The Americano. So an Americano is Campari, sweet vermouth, and club soda, and. It was when everybody was drinking them at Cafe Cassoni when the Count returned from the USA. And so the Count said, give me an Americano, but forget the club soda and put some gin in there instead. So again, his over-the-top personality, you know, his man about town and his tough guy persona all rolled into one there. Um, and he gives us a, a nice little cartoon picture of the man who we will never know properly, but it's interesting to just form little images in your mind of this, uh, this wonderful character who invented an incredible drink. Yeah, I can imagine him being uh, someone who was entertaining the other patrons at the bar. You know, someone who was really magnetic as well. I, I, I just picture yeah. him uh, doing that uh, quite a bit. In, in the book, you also mention that there was another Count Negroni. Uh, someone uh, yeah. who, who who lived a little bit earlier, and that his family is had laid claim to uh, the Negroni being actually invented by him in in Corsica, and uh, you dispel that 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 you know you say that, that probably was not the case for all these other reasons, but. If anyone has any evidence that it is, you'd love to hear it. Have, has anyone come to you since publishing the book saying, you know what, we have ev evidence that this other Count Negroni was the, the one who actually invented it? 
Yeah, and of course, and I say of course because it's of course in my mind, of course I have not heard from anybody because in in my opinion, the claim that uh, General Pascal Olivier Count de Negroni um, invented the drink is completely fabricated. <laughs> Um, and there's one of his descendants, um, a man called Noel Negroni, it has been him who has been posting on various sites online about his uh, forebear who invented the drink. But when pinned down uh, asked and asked for evidence, he has absolutely nothing. Um, but I think, you know, between you and me and the 78 million people listening, uh, I, I really That's think... Very that kind Noel, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think that Noel... That's very kind of you. I really think that Noel Negroni was just winding us all up. I don't think that he even believes that his ancestor... Uh, invented it. I just think he was having a good time. And he comes off, in all honesty, as quite a bit of a snob. <laughs> well, with such a delicious drink, I could understand the impetus of wanting to be more closely associated with it. Um, on that note, we are going to take just a quick break. Uh, before we go, I did want to mention uh, that part of the reason that we're having uh, Gaz on the show to talk about his absolutely beautiful uh, book, The Negroni, is that it is actually Negroni Week here uh, in New York. Uh, tons of restaurants and bars are participating in Negroni Week. Each one of those uh, places chooses a charity to donate $1 for each Negroni sold. And um, over at Altalinia, we have chosen Friends of Finn, which supports um, uh, dog shelters uh, across the region. So for every frozen Negroni, we do frozen Negronis there, which is our, our most popular drink, we, we're going to be donating a dollar. And uh, last night we had Mr. Yo-Yo Ma in uh, nice surprise drinking a, a frozen Negroni and uh oh, Nice, that. that was that. Well, I mean, he is uh, one of the nicest, most charming guys I have met in a, in a while. Yeah. What, a, incredible, really made an impression. All right, so we're going to take just a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be we'll be right back with more of Gaz Regan and his beautiful book, The Negroni. This one's called "Love It" by Soy. We'll be right back. When you talk about Campari, one of the first things that comes to mind is the inimitable and ubiquitous Negroni cocktail, a favorite of Heritage Radio Networks. Joe Campanelli, host of In the Drink on Heritage Radio, talks about the interesting history of the Negroni cocktail. The, the classic Milano Torino, which is better known as the Americano cocktail, which is Campari, good red vermouth. Use good red vermouth like Carpano Antica formula, Contrado, Cocchi Vermouth di Torino, one of those, and soda water. Then later on in its uh, history was transformed into the Negroni, which substituted good gin for the soda water, something a little bit stronger. Count Negroni 
spent many years traveling the Midwest, the Southwest of the United States, found a penchant for strong drinks, and later went to London where he started to like his gin, brought that all back to his favorite bar in Florence and said, I'll take one of those Americano cocktails, but make it stronger, make mine with gin. And such was birthed the Negroni cocktail. Um, and now it's really popular. I find that people are asking for Negronis with agave-based spirits, uh, mezcal or tequila Negronis, especially mezcal, a little more popular. Um, so mezcal Negronis are really delicious. Experiment with your own Negroni recipe and enjoy it with Campari for a perfect cocktail creation. For more information, visit Campari.com. Please enjoy responsibly. All right, we are back with Gaz Regan uh, talking about his book, The Negroni and Negroni Cocktails, here during Negroni Week. Uh, guys, one of the things I really appreciate about your approach in uh, in this book is you say that the Campari is indispensable. It has to be there. But you leave a lot of leeway for the other uh, the other two ingredients of, uh, of the classic Negroni, uh, the gin and the vermouth. Both the brands, though you do state your preference, uh, but also so uh, the ratios, and I, I really like your point. It's one that I had not heard before. That uh, if you were to ask a chef to make a Bernays sauce, he wasn't—he's not going to find the original recipe and make it exactly the same. But he's going to do it in whatever way seems to make the most sense is the most delicious to him. I think that is a truly refreshing uh, approach. Uh, uh, refreshing, I like that <laughs> to uh, to uh, to cocktails. Uh, is that some? Is that a way that you have always felt, um, especially when these classic cocktails were, were coming about and people were trying so hard to make it the the original way? Yeah, it's absolutely the way I've always felt. Um, recipes, as far as I'm concerned, are nothing more and nothing less than guidelines. Mm-hmm. They give us an idea of what ratios to use. But, for instance, and this is, uh, do you, are you um, familiar with a vermouth called uh, La Quintinier? Oh, I, I I like I love vermouth, and we have so many of them at at our restaurants. But I don't know this one. No. Okay, La Quintinier is a a French vermouth uh, with a base of uh, Pinot de Charente. Um, it's a wonderful vermouth, mm-hmm. and it's nice. And uh, if I may say, it's feminine and fruity and full. Um, with a delicious spiciness behind it. So if you can put that in your head for a second and then think about um, Carpano Antica Formula, which is a very forthright, very strong, very do-not-ignore-me kind (laughs) of vermouth with strong vanilla notes. So... My example is, make two Negronis, one with La Quintinier and one with Carpano Antica Formula, and see how different they are. And in order to balance those drinks, you have to take into consideration the vermouth you're using and go up or down, depending on the vermouth, on the gin and the Campari. So we have our guideline that says it's equal portions 
of Jim Vermouth uh, and Campari. Um, then we have the actual execution, and during the execution, we take into consideration the brand of gin mm-hmm. and the brand of vermouth that we're using. Interesting. And you you seem to prefer the a more traditional sort of junipery London style gin as well. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I, I, I do. I'm like slap me across the face with juniper. <laughs> um, and I cite I think I cite three bottles bottlings in the book. Um, I'm a big Tanqueray fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Tanqueray 10 as well, but the regular Tanqueray is my favorite. Um, and I also love Beefeater Gin, which is another slap you in the face with Beefeater, with a Juniper. Um, and then there's a, a lesser known gin called G Vine, G apostrophe V I N E. Sounds like a rapper. Yeah, they do two bufflings. Uh, and my favorite, especially for the Negroni, is their Nuason buffling, which is another juniper forward gem. But that's my style, you know? Uh, you, everybody has their own uh, taste buds, and uh, everybody should experiment with their own particular favorite. Are, are there any guidelines that you would advise one who was experimenting? Uh, yeah, it's very simple, actually. Okay, so first off, you make it with equal, ingre- equal amounts of each ingredient and taste it that way, and then choose the gin or the remove, it's up to you, to go up or down on, make it again, and try it again, and keep doing that until you've figured out how it works best. You end up very, very drunk, David. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a good experiment for a, for a thunderstormy afternoon, you know? Uh, I agree. I agree. And the nice thing is it's not like you're making a, a pot roast, which takes four hours or five hours. To each one of these cocktails will only take a matter of minutes to put together, and it's not like you're you're blowing through that much time when you're when you're experimenting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. And another hint that your listeners might like has been my method for many years when creating new drinks, mm-hmm. and you can do this with uh, that Negroni experiment too. Before you even start to put them together, just have a small sip of each ingredient. Mm so that the flavors of that ingredient are very fresh in your mind. And once you've done that, if you immediately make the drink, I guarantee, well, I don't guarantee, but it works a lot of the time, uh, that your brain will intuitively understand what ratios to use for those particular ingredients. And that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, so th- this book, it seems like it was a very collaborative book, both from the research standpoint and, and uh, your, your friend Dave contributing a lot to the beginning, but then also the, a lot of the recipes uh, in the end. How were you able to choose the, the recipes? What were the criteria that you chose uh, to, to select these uh, uh, recipes from bartenders around the country who were doing 
sort of riffs and variations of, of Negronis. Uh, yeah, and it's actually built in this realm of worlds. Around the world, you yeah. have uh, oh, that's recipes right. in there. So um, I have a decent reach on social media, and so I put out on social media that I was looking for Negroni variations, and a number, like a, a huge number, of kind bartenders all over the world started sending me their recipes for variations on this drink. And unfortunately, I mean, there were so many, uh, I did not, I confess, have time to test each and every one of them. And so what happens in these cases uh, is that you paper judge them. You look at them, you think about the ingredients, and decide whether or not it's worth actually making the drink uh, before you before you decide on it. Uh, unfortunately, I'm quite sure some excellent recipes fall through the cracks that way, but it's kind of the only way you've got to do it. But then you end up with, let's say, about two. I think I ended up with about 250. Negroni uh, variations that I actually tested. Mm -hmm. And I tested them and selected my favorites. Yeah, so many of them sound like such interesting, uh, such interesting variations. I really love the sound of this Negroni or pear uh, with the Taylor Frigate 20 year port. That is very weird because. This morning, as I was preparing for this interview, I was going through the book, and that was the drink that uh, stood out to me too. Yeah, something about it really stands out with the with the port and the fifteen year balsamic and the story of uh, this uh, this cocktail competition and the mysterious bartender who didn't win, but the drink really stayed with with the judge. I I, I love the story and this this drink for something about it really calls out to me. It speaks to me. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that there is uh, a little bit of 15-year-old balsamic mm-hmm. vinegar in that drink may, just makes it stand out from the page. And, of course, the guy who sent me the drink, who was a judge at the competition, um, was none other than uh, Colin Field, who is the head bartender at the Hemingway Bar at the Ritz Hotel in Paris. And he is a... He's a big shot, a big name is Colin, and a real good lad. So I was very happy to be able to put something connected to him in the book. Guys, are you somewhere uh, outside with beautiful weather and birds chirping? I am outside with an overcast sky okay. and birds chirping. I, I, can, I can hear it. I picture you sitting in a comfortable chair in the fields in the Hudson Valley overlooking or drinking sipping a, a Negroni uh, I, I, I'm on my deck with a cup of tea David <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe that's okay David's our very able yeah, engineer yeah yeah, yeah. 
Uh, last thing I want to ask you, you finished the book with uh, some recipes for edible Negronis and uh, mentioned that edible cocktails are not something just from, you know, jello shots at frat parties, but this is something that's been going on for, for a while. Uh, what What is your experience with edible cocktails? And I, I had no idea that these were these were even done in the, the 19th century. Oh, yeah. Well, are you talking about... Uh Negroni Jello shots. No, well, not only we have a, a recipe for a Negroni popsicle that sounds really interesting. The Negroni slushy, which speaks to my heart, uh, with you know what we're doing at at our restaurant Altalinia with the frozen Negronis and Negroni ice cream, uh, but also the, the idea of just edible edible cocktails having a, a, a long history. I, I think it's very cool that you've included some of these. Uh, more unique recipes for you know uh, sometimes people would, would do a recipe book and have foods that would you know might go with their wines or the, the cocktails in the book but these are actual using using alcohol using the ingredients of, of the negroni in uh, in in food recipes i think that's really interesting yeah my favorite um, is the negroni cheesecake <laughs> Uh, created by a world-famous bartender, Monica Berg. Um, and she was, she created this when she was in Oslo. Uh, she is a Norwegian woman who lives in London these days. Um, and she went to a lot of trouble, man, to put this together. But Jesus, it's a great, great um, cheesecake. And, you know, just to refer back to your... Um, 19th century edible cocktails mm-hmm. uh, that makes me think of an, again this is Jerry Thomas 1862 um, and there is a recipe in there for um, a drink or a dessert um, called jelly punch and he adds Eisenglass to a punch so that it sets like a jello. Interesting. So Isenglass, the fish people, bladder. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he warms. This is not verbatim, but it's something like this. He said, be very careful with this, uh, this punch because it's very intoxicating and it can render the fairer sex uh, unable to wolf or quadrille later <laughs> in the evening. I love that. I mean, I know what a waltz is. I have no idea what a quadrille is, but that is... That I don't seems know, so... but quadrilling was a big thing back then. It was a big well. thing, and you wouldn't yeah. want that to happen. <laughs> Uh, Gaz, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to be on the show and congratulations on, on everything on, on your extraordinarily successful career, but, uh, timely with what's going on now, this beautiful book, the Negroni, uh, the photography is beautiful. The recipes are fascinating. The writing is great. Uh, I, I love this book. So thank thank you. you. May may I just say if, uh, any of your listeners Mm -hmm. buy that book this week from Kitchen Arts and Letters, which is a Manhattan bookstore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a portion of the proceeds will also be going to charity, just like um, buying a drink at a Negroni supportive bar. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. We'll put that up on our social media, Kitchen Arts and Letters, a, uh, a legendary uh, 
all things culinary bookstore on the Upper East Side. Um, and that that's great that they're doing that. I also want to just give a shout out to your website, gazregan.com. That's G-A-Z-R-E-G-A-N.com. You have information on Gaz. You can sign up for his, uh, his three weekly newsletters uh, and uh, get all the information you want. So thank you, Gaz, so, so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you thinking of me, and uh, happy Negroni week to you, (laughs) and I hope you drink as many as possible without getting into trouble. Thank you. That's a great send-off. I appreciate that. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.